And we are continuing our series, and it's titled Life Hacks, Skillful Living from Proverbs. And so if you would turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6, open up to that, and we're going to look at that in a little bit. Um, but, you know, life hacks, they're, they're typically designed to, to make life easier and more manageable. You don't f- typically find articles that are titled Five Tips to Make Your Life Really Hard. And uh, there's even a website, makelifeeasier.com. But, but wisdom is, is about making life rewarding, but, but not necessarily easier. You know, wisdom often requires difficulty on the front end. It, it, it requires something of you. It requires you to engage something and invest something and press into something. And so the guarantee isn't that life is going to be easier by the way of wisdom, but, but that it will be rewarding and that it will save you headaches and trouble in the long run. And, and that's true in the topic we're considering tonight, which is going to be work. And uh, work is, and I, I know this gets you really excited, right? Everybody's eager to hear about work. Work is a major theme. In Proverbs, in fact, in Proverbs, work, it's like the hack to life. It's what's there to unlock the potential in life. And that might sound like a contradiction. You know, normally people hack things in order to avoid work. And so, you know, if I hack your bank account details, uh, that's so that I, I can avoid actually getting a job and having to get a paycheck. I just want to benefit from the hard work that you've done, so I'm going to hack into that information and, and take it, right? Or, or people hack things in, in order to benefit from sort, some sort of secrets that are going to give you an advantage. And so, you know, there was the whole debate. It's crazy how these things run in the news cycle, and now it's kind of already moved on, but, but just a matter of weeks ago, uh, what was in the news about hacking? And uh, you guys tracking with me? The DNC and, and how much that influenced the presidential election or not, and is Russia involved, and who, who's in this, right? But, but, but hacking in that sense, right? It's, it's stealing information. It's, it's, it's taking it, it, that secret that's stored away in order for you to have an advantage there. But, but, but that's the thing about wisdom is that wisdom is actually an open secret, in the Bible. Proverbs says that wisdom cries aloud in the streets, right? Wisdom, it's like that person that's on a, on a bullhorn and saying, hey guys, come and get it. Free access, insight into how the world works. And as thousands of people pass by and ignore it, but, but God makes wisdom freely available and it opens up the riches of the life that God has designed. He, he's, he's, it's like he's programmed wisdom into the world. If you think of it like this, wisdom is the software that the world runs on, but, but it's an open source code. It's something you can, you can open it up and check it out. And what's, what's taking place here? It's discoverable for anybody who's willing to learn. And so what I'm going to share with you tonight, it, it, it shouldn't be a major surprise. And hopefully nobody needed the book of Proverbs in order to know that you're supposed to work hard. Most people don't say something like, you know what, if you, if you want to succeed in life, don't do anything. Just, just, just sit on the chair your whole life, be as lazy as possible, never set your mind to anything significant, just give up before you accomplish anything. Right, right. Nobody says that. Well, many people can live some version of that, but, but the reason is because God's wisdom is so ingrained 
into the universe that he's made, that it's, that it's obvious, but we still need his revelation in order to understand why things run this way and to give us the, the insight and the motivation that we need to continue. So let's talk about what we mean by work. Uh, the book of Proverbs, it, it was written to young people. So he, he's not necessarily just addressing adults and people that have these established careers and how they're supposed to manage that, right? It's preparing you for that. But, but work, is, it's not just about a job. And work is not just about getting a paycheck. W- work, I put this definition in your, in your notes there, work is effort spent to accomplish a goal. Right? That, that, that's what I mean by work, and I think that's what Proverbs means by work. So your, your schoolwork would be included in that, uh, work around the house, work that takes place as you serve in the church, right? A- anything that, that requires effort, that, that requires you to, to pursue a set of tasks or to, or to do something that just is not automatic, right? There, there are automated processes, and then there are processes that require work. And, and work in the Bible, it's, it's, not, it's not meaningless activity, right? To be honest with you, I, I still don't quite understand what Rihanna's song, Work, is all about. I've read over the lyrics, and that didn't help me at all. So, uh, but, but in the Bible, work is understandable. It, 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 it's, it's not purposeless, right? It's not just something that we're caught up in. And, and in fact, it's a good thing. If you just notice the storyline of Scripture, work didn't come after the fall. It's not something that got introduced as a punishment for our sin. Uh, Work is not a part of the curse. Now, after the fall, the curse made work more difficult, and it made it uh, more futile and often frustrating, but work was originally the gift of God. It was something that God gave to us to be like Him. Because the, the, the first thing you find out in the Bible, before you and I are ever given a job to do, we find out that God works. Right? God, God creates the world. There, there are these six work days that are the pattern for God's creation. Now, when God works, it's different from us. right? God God has limitless energy, and he creates the world by speaking, and so he's making something from nothing, so there's no pre-existing material that he has to work with, right? He just, he just spins out worlds just by his thoughts and intentions, but he works. The Bible uses that word for him, and it says he rested on the seventh day, which means God, God, if you will, he stopped working when it came to creating the world, but even then God's work didn't end. He worked through creation, and then, and then he works through what's called providence in Scripture, his, his managing of creation and his, his managing of his redemptive work in our lives. And, and so Jesus said in John 5, 17, my father is working until now and I am working. And he said that in response to people who were saying, hey, Jesus, when you healed that dude, you broke the Sabbath, right? God gave us the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And he said, no, 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 you, you've misunderstood the Sabbath. I'm doing my father's work. And that's the very reason why he gave it to us. But God works, and, and, and in Scripture, in the book of Genesis, 
we were made in his image. And the very rest of that sentence, when it says that we were made to display God, says that we're there to exercise dominion, to have authority, to, 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 to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the world with his image and, and to subdue that world. And I don't know how you picture creation and you picture the Garden of Eden, often people think that the whole world was just the garden. But, but, it, but as you follow that closely and you follow the rest of Scripture that describes that, there was the garden and there was what was outside of the garden. Right? The whole world wasn't the garden. The garden was made in, in this place called Eden. It's given a specific geography and location. But there was work for Adam to do to work and keep that garden but also to, to extend it, to, to subdue the wilderness, to subdue what surrounded it that was, that was more chaotic and, and, and to bring it into to peace and harmony. And so all of that was given to Adam and to Eve before sin ever showed up and made it really, really challenging and troubling. And, and, and that's something that we, we image, right? We follow in that pattern. You know, you, the reason why you experience boredom and the reason why, which I, I think honestly boredom is not something we ever give ourselves permission to experience anymore because there's constant access to something to get my attention. And so, uh, do you guys ever feel bored anymore? I felt bored when I was growing up. I, don't, I can't remember what it's like to feel bored anymore, um, which I think that's a problem, honestly. But uh, but that, that reason why you, you want to do something, you want to engage something, is because that's the calling that's on your life, right? There, there, there is, there's a pile of laundry to subdue. There's homework to complete. There, there are skills to learn. And there are disciplines to develop. And so there's, there's inherent dignity in work. It's what we were designed to do. Right, in the same way this, this binder was designed to open and close with the tabs on the side, you and I were made to work. And so if we're avoiding work, we're, we're not becoming more. We're not adding stuff to our life, but becoming less. And, and work is something that God applauds, even if it's something that other people don't value. And, and you know this, when it's time to work, all of a sudden... Anything else seems more desirable than that. And options call out to you. And you could do this. And you could talk to this person. Or you could explore this. And there's just, there's just opportunities that await a world of possibilities. You could be doing anything besides working. But Proverbs says, Proverbs 12, verse 11. I think I have this here. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread but he who follows worthless pursuits, and one, one translation renders that, chases fantasies, lacks sense. And, and what we're so inclined to produce, it, it's in the fantasy world, right? It's, it's in gaming, it's in social media, it's in daydreaming. That, that's what we're oriented toward, but we can do that to the neglect of the actual land that God has called us to work in. And, 
and maybe, you know, we're not in an agricultural setting. You guys aren't farmers, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, but there's, there's land. There, there's something that God wants you to cultivate. There, there's a place. You know, you're in school, and you're in a family, and you're in, you're in a church setting, and you're in this world that he's made, and there's a future that awaits you, and you're thinking through issues of your calling and your vocation and all of that. Right? There, there's land out there, and you can neglect all of that by chasing fantasies. And he says, in the end, you're going to go hungry because this is how God's made the world. And so there, there's, there's a tremendous reward in work. He says in Proverbs 10, verse 4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Right? A lot of people want to be rich, but they don't want to be rich in the way that God has made it, that riches are available. Now, that, that's true literally, right? If you, if you just ignore work, ignore work, ignore work, uh, chances are eventually you end up homeless, right? That's just a, a law of the universe. Um, but, but, there, but, but Proverbs means more than just material riches, right? At the end of the day, that's not its definition of the good life. Get all you can to acquire all the wealth here and now, by any means necessary, right? Uh, it's, it's, it includes financial prosperity, but it's bigger than that. And so he says in Proverbs 13, verse 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. You guys realize what you do and how you approach your work has to do with your soul? And there are people that avoid it, and they just don't, they just don't know why. why. Why am I restless on the inside? Why do I pick up trinkets and chase after fantasies and, and do whatever I can to entertain myself, and, and, and it just doesn't satisfy? It doesn't settle that, that sense of craving that he's described here. Well, because God has made it for your soul to be satisfied ultimately in working for the Lord, and this is because our work, it answers ultimately not just to a boss or to a teacher or to a parent, but to God. It exists for the glory of God. Anthony Salvaggio says, the ultimate purpose of work is neither income nor prestige nor self-fulfillment. Rather, it is to bring glory to God. That's what it means for work to be a calling. Right, if you have trouble working with integrity, and we're going to describe what that implies as we, as we move forward here, chances are you've lost any sight of, the, of this perspective that we're not just working for the human individuals in our lives, although they matter, right? The people in your life matter, so don't just brush them aside when it comes to their requests. But this is about the Lord. And so Paul can say this, right? If we think we have it hard, he can talk to slaves and servants, and he can say things like this. Colossians 3, verse 22, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do. Right? Even the most menial tasks that these servants had to do, humiliating things in some cases. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So this, this reward extends beyond just the limits of this life and it reaches all the way into eternity and says, hey, reach for that, look for that. He says, you are serving the Lord Christ. So it's not just what you do, but how you do it and why you do it that matters here. You're to, you're to work with the right attitude. He says, do this with joy. And so if we're, if we're grumbling, if we're complaining, if, we're, if we find bitterness and resentment toward the, the person that has sent us to accomplish something or saying, hey, you need to do this. You just need to do this, right? Reasonable or not. If we're responding to that with, with complaint, then, then we have lost sight of behind that person stands the Lord Jesus himself. And he's the one that matters. So you have to work in the, in the right way, but also for the right reasons, right? It's possible to do the right thing for the wrong motives. And there are people that work really hard and they throw themselves at something and, and they, they, they give a lot of time to developing a skill or a trade. And, and yet it, it all becomes a waste because they're, they're doing what, what he describes as being a people pleaser here, right? This is about them. This is about the applause. This is about people noticing that they're really good at something. And, and, and you know, that can happen for us in categories of life today. You, you can devote all your time and attention to, to getting good at a particular sport. But if, it, but if it's about you, ultimately, then in the end, it's a waste. And poverty comes into your life. And so the Bible doesn't commend the workaholic, uh, because that's a, that's a form of idolatry itself. If somebody uh, gives himself all his energy and attention to his job and neglects his family and his church, he's not going to end up rich in the end. His soul will be poor. All right, well, I, I want to introduce us to two people in Proverbs. Are you ready to meet some characters in this book? Let's spend the rest of our time. We're going we're to meet the ant and not A-U-N-T, right? I don't know if you've spoken to your, your aunt you guys say aunt or aunt? Whenever you're distinguishing it from aunt, that's when you have this impulse to say aunt. I don't know. I'm going to meet the aunt, and then you're going to meet the slugger. All right, so Proverbs 6. You guys should already be turned there. Look down at your Bibles. Verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. All right, this is supposed to be humbling because God has created us, right? Mankind is the height of creation, the crowning feature. And he says, hey, you over there, get off your high horse and go down and find this little creature, the ant, and learn something that it has to show you because you have fallen away from what God had intended for your life. Right, Solomon, we saw this last time we looked at Proverbs. First Kings 4 talks about all the creatures that he studied, right? He had interest in biology and science and all of that, but not just to learn a bunch of facts like the store on Wikipedia or something, but he wanted to gain insight from that. He wanted to see, God, why have you made things the way that you have. And uh, my kids, which is recently, I don't know if any of you guys saw this on, on Instagram, but 
we'd, we had ordered these caterpillars, and you, they, they come in, and they, they you know, eat a bunch of food and stuff, and they grow to five times their size, and they form chrysalises in, inside of this enclosure, and you get to watch them form into butterflies, and the butterflies come out, and um, you know, they, they, they live in there for a week or so, and then you release them off into the world. So, uh, you know, my, my children were just fascinated with, with, with this. Of course, Knox did his best attempt to try to smash them to death. That, that's where his interests lie. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but studying insects, right? There, there, there's a glory in that because they're, they're doing, I, what, what causes metamorphosis to happen? Right? Nobody had to instruct that creature how to do that. Nobody had to say, hey, step one, this, step two. It is functioning exactly how it designed. And, and there's a glory that God intends to come from our lives as we engage his purposes as well. So the first thing to notice about the ant is that it has an inner impulse, right? It says in verse 7, without having any chief, officer, or ruler. So there's, there's, there's nothing external that's saying, hey, this is what you need to do, and you got to meet these deadlines, and you better accomplish these things if you're going to succeed, right? So uh, Ray Ortland says, There is no boss ant standing over the others with a whip. Ants do not report in to anybody. No one has ever seen a foot-dragging ant. An ant has within herself all the motivation she needs to make something of her life, and she never lets up, Right? Foot dragging, lacking motivation, is that, is that something that your, your parents are constantly confronting and, and that's a challenge for you guys? Or is there, is there something inside of you that wants to do great things and wants to be diligent, ultimately because it's for the Lord, right? What do you do when no one is looking? Does it take somebody getting on your case to do a good job. And, 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 and laziness, it tends to surface for us in, in the categories that, that people don't notice or applaud. Right? There, there are certain things that, that if, you, if you work really hard at it, it produces a visible result. Right? They, they see you on the court. They see you on the field. They see the, the test results. Right? Whatever that is for you, because we all have our, our different interests and appetites, but there's something that you want people to notice about you. And you will devote your time to it. You will get up early if you have to do it, right? You, you, you will turn your world upside down in order to pursue this. And it's very challenging. And you sweat and you pull it off. But it's something that people take notice of. But then there are other things that God has called you to do in life that either they don't see it or it's just your family who sees it anyway. And the people that matter to you, the people whose attention you crave, they're, they're not the ones applauding that. Right? What do you do in those categories? Because that's where laziness tends to show up. And that, that reveals our pride. It reveals what we're after. And it reveals our lack of integrity. Because we're not living consistently in every area of life. We're, we're, we're living based upon who do you want me to be? Right? If, 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 if you tell me I'm significant, if I run after this, then I'll pursue it. But if I'm not getting anything back from you, then not, not so much. Because we're not living before God, but before people. Right? So 
this this ant it has has an eagerness to 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 just pursue what it's called to do and 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 we're to search out opportunities um, to serve even if nobody ever notices that right nobody ever says hey I'm so glad you did that. That was the right thing to do. What if just God thinks that way? Is that enough? That's enough for this little tiny creature. That ought to be enough for, for you and me. Uh, all right, just some scenarios. How do you respond when you notice that there are dishes in the sink, that the trash is full, that there are chairs to be picked up after this meeting, uh, that there is an opportunity to serve, right, in the, in the church, right? The, the, this, this is available for you to engage. Do you have to be told, step one, do this, and sign your name here, and make sure you do a good job, or is there something that says, I'm going to do that, because it's right and it honors the Lord, right? Second thing that the ant has is diligence, right? She gathers her food in harvest. And I, I've seen different numbers here, I've seen it said that an ant can carry up to 100 times its weight. I've seen it described as an ant can, can withstand one, uh, five, actually 5,000 times its weight in, in pressure. And if you want to know, it's kind of it's sickening and strange how they do that experiment. But basically, they, they take ants' heads and they glue it down to the, to the floor, to some device... And they spin that around, and they try to figure it out at how many pounds per pressure will its body fly off of its head. So if you're, if you're interested in the mechanics of ant science, that, that's the kinds of things that they do. Uh, they're just ants. But um, anyway, um, but what's clear here is that an ant is ready to put in the effort. And, and there's an, an awareness that if, if I'm going to eat, I'm going to need to work for it. And, and guys, we, this is just so foreign for us. Just the simple process of how our food arrives to us today is ultra convenient. And, and most of you, all you need to do is open a fridge and complain about what's not in there. And then it shows up magically. I don't, I don't know how it gets there, but it suddenly appears within a, a number of days, right? So we're just in, in, in you know, the, the American teenager we're just so distant from what would have been normal life conditions for the majority of young people around the world for most of human existence. Most of human existence, being a teenager, life would not look like it looks for you today. And that's not a wrong thing, right? Because that actually has come from work and prosperity to bring us to where we are. But we need to be careful that we, we don't settle into the normalcy of, of, of life exists to serve me and for my comfort and for me to avoid difficulty at all costs. And so don't avoid what's, what's difficult. Do the hard things, right? For some of us, that, that just means the, the heavy lifting of, of Bible reading and prayer. Right, that, that requires diligence. That requires you to, 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 to work hard at the steps that are, that are there in order for you to, to pursue that, right? Waking up at a certain time and, and making sure you're, you're, you're following that inner impulse that comes from the Holy Spirit, whether or not your youth pastor or your parents are on your case of, hey, you're reading the Bible, right? Is there, is there something in you that is inclined toward God that says, hey, I know this isn't easy, and I know this does this doesn't happen automatically in my life, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give place to that. 
And, and, and we should have, we should have a healthy appetite toward what is going to require effort from us because that is how God has brought us reward. All right, uh, third thing is that the ant prepares for the future. It says that she prepares her bread in summer. She, she knows, hey, winter's coming, and it comes every year, so I'm not going to be oblivious to that, but I'm going to do something now that's going to make me ready because right now there's provision. And the temptation is, hey, just, just enjoy all that while it's here. Eat it up. Don't save any for later. Don't anticipate that, hey, later on, it's not going to be there and you're going to need it. And we're gonna, we're one of the topics that we're going to talk about um, in this series is money. And so we'll discuss saving and saving for the future and the value that there is in Proverbs for that. Um, but, but here, it's, it, 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 the principle is anticipating what is going to be required in the future and working ahead of that, right? Can you see beyond just right here, right now, at the last minute, what's the deadline? Or do you have a sense of this is coming up and I need to be ready. I need, I need, to, I need to look down the week. I need to look down the, the month and, and see, hey, these assignments are approaching, right? I, I, I feel that Part of the consistency problems that we have sometimes on Wednesday nights and, and when the recourse is uh, homework and exams is it that you got right up on that and discovered, oops, something's due, and then all of a sudden it's crunch time to get that fulfilled for the next morning? Or is there any readiness in you of, hey, Wednesday's coming, and Wednesday comes every week, and homework is a reality every week, and so can I... Can I plan and prepare ahead of time in order to be aware of that? Uh, but it's not just the ant that gets uh, attention here. Look at verse 9. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now, notice those words there, a little a little, a little, right? That, that, that's the system of thought that the sluggard lives by. Just a little bit more. And let's just put this off for a little bit longer. And he says, eventually a little bit runs out and poverty will eat up the realities of your, of your life. All right, let's turn over to Proverbs chapter 26. And uh, Ray Ortland defines a sluggard for us. He says, what is a sluggard? Think of the way syrup, this is wonderful, syrup oozes slowly out of a bottle when it's cold. That is the sluggard, sluggish and slow and hesitant when he should be decisive, active, forthright. His life motto is, don't rush me. <laughs> he is lazy, constantly making the soft choice, losing one opportunity after another, after another, after another, day by day, moment by moment, until he lies there helpless in his wasted life. Let's all admit it. There is a slugger deep inside each of us. And hopefully Proverbs will help expose that, and, and we need this. I, I need this for sure. But, you know, he, he pulls out, Solomon, he pulls out his most biting sarcasm when it comes to the sluggard. And Proverbs 26, it, it kind of it reads like it's a form of stand-up comedy, right? Look, look at verse 13. The sluggard says, There's a lion in the road. 
There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wearies him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Now, now all of these are supposed to be ridiculous, right? And, and I actually, I've, I've encountered some people in life that these are pretty true, literal descriptions for the way that they live. But that's rare. But, 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 the, but the, Proverbs, again, it wants you to step in with both feet and take a look around and says, okay, well, what, what am I getting at here? Because there's a deeper insight in all of these. Uh, the first thing that the, the sluggard has a problem with are dishonest excuses, right? He says, there's a lion out there. I'm going to get eaten alive, right? If, if, I, if I have to show up for work, if I have to go out there, and, and bring this message to the person you're sending me to, whatever this task is that he, you know, he's given here. He's saying, dude, trust me, you don't want to go out there right now. You're going to get eaten alive. All right, so, so he's, he's unwilling to, to venture into, into what is seen as threatening. So there's fear here. But often fear is just masking laziness. The issue is, is not really fear, but just straight up excuses, and the reality is, there's no lion in the streets. <laughs> I don't know last time anybody's seen that. What is out there is a job. What is out there is stuff that needs to get done. There's a, there's a mission to fulfill. There's expectations. And he'd rather stay on the inside rather than have to face any of that. Peter Lightheart says, sluggards are worse than cowards. Cowards might shrink back in fear of real dangers. Sluggards invent dangers that are not there and then justify their inaction. And in his book, A Proverbs-Driven Life, Anthony Silvaggio, he, he describes two excuses that typically we're all prone to use from time to time. Uh, the first is what he calls the exception excuse, which is some form of I shouldn't have to do this because I'm not treated fairly. Right? People will do that in the workplace. They feel like, you know, they haven't been promoted properly. They're not paid enough. And so they'll use that as an excuse to, to goof off and to sabotage the company or whatever it is, right? And, and, and in their own eyes, that's, that's justified. That's fine because they're not appreciated, right? So, so again, laziness, it, it touches pride and it touches dishonesty, as we'll see in a moment. But, but you guys can do that, right? You can, you can do that when it comes to, to classes. You feel like, this teacher is just out to get me, right? She does not grade fairly. She just picks on me, whatever that is. And so your conclusion is, well, what's the point? Why even bother? Because you poor thing, you're a victim of a conspiracy against your education, right? So you fall prey to the excuse of the exception excuse. And then, and then there's the lowest common denominator excuse, which is some form of, well, nobody else is taking this seriously. And so you can be in a group of people and they're all dismissive toward this. They're not, if that's a group project and everybody's acting like, yeah, this doesn't really matter anyway. If that's something that you guys are together and, and serving for something, you know, if that's around here, it's VBS, it's whatever it is. And the people around you are treating this like, eh, it's pretty light and I shouldn't have to do much anyway. And you allow their standards to frame your expectations and you never raise the question, what would God want from me here? What would serving the Lord 
in this setting, whatever it is, mean for my involvement? Excuses are ultimately about dishonesty. Laziness is always a form of lying, which, which is why you know, they call it a work ethic. There's ethical work involved. And so Proverbs 15, verse 19 says, The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the diligent is a level highway. Is that the word there? Right? Did I, what did I just read wrong right there? Upright. All right, good. Just check in with you, making sure you're with me. You're working hard with me in this message. Awesome. All right, so you would expect, if you're just reading that proverb, and, and do this when you read the Bible, sluggard, what's the opposite of sluggard? Somebody who works hard, right? The way of the diligent. But that's not what he does there. He says there's the sluggard, and there's the upright. And the, the upright in Proverbs are the people who are honest, right? Who are straight in how they engage business. And, and the reality is you will always retreat to some form of dishonesty in order to hide your laziness. Right? The person who cheats on a test, how'd they get there? Did they just plan, you know what, I just really love cheating. It just gets, you know, I don't know, maybe some people just crave the excitement of it. Uh, chances are they'd rather not have to do that, you know? But they've arrived there because they haven't done the work that's required in order to master their material. And so their solution to hide their laziness, right, they, they don't, you could just fail, right? You could just say, hey, I did terrible in studying for this, uh, or resort to some other excuse, whatever it is, and just own up and to, to the failing grade. But, but, but when people choose to cheat, they're wanting to hide. They're using dishonesty to hide the fact that I've been lazy, right? Plagiarism is, a, is, a, is another form of that. I'm, I'm hiding the fact that I haven't done the work that's required in order to write this paper, and so I'm going to rob somebody else. Uh, presenting yourself as, as having completing, completed something you left unfinished. Right, the, the, the whole kind of classic scenario of sweeping it under the rug. What's going on there in the way that people use that saying, right? The rug hides the fact that you didn't actually pick up the pile. And, and, and you can do that in, in different categories of life, right? You, you try to find some way. If I can just make the outside look like this is a finished product and I did my job and the, and the part that people are going to check... You know, if that's just the inside of the closet that was supposed to be clean, whatever that is, right? Um, you, you're, you're being dishonest. You're trying to make it look like you did everything that was required because you're hiding the fact that you were just lazy. Uh, letting other people bear the brunt of the work, right? So uh, people do this. You know I, know, I know several of you guys have jobs, and, and you know the frustration I'm talking about here, right? They, they leave something unfinished, and then somebody else has to come behind them and clean up their mess or deal with the problem that they created. And the supervisor, the manager, doesn't necessarily find out about that because somebody else took care of it for them. And so they didn't get in trouble. And so from this, the manager's perspective, everybody's doing their job. Well, this person, they're fine having other people's work presented as if it's their own because they're hiding the fact that they are lazy. Laziness is always dishonest, and it will always involve some form of robbery in the end. Right? The, the person, you guys ever 
go into Walmart or you go into fast food restaurant and, and the bathroom is horrendous and it's like a, a nuclear war zone and, and you want to warn people to just don't go in there, trust me, right? Uh, what happened there? Uh, well, uh, you know, at some point, we know what happened inside the bathroom. We won't go into those details. But eventually the problem became somebody didn't clean that up. And it is just built up over time and become a problem, right? Well, uh, I think I remember, Jack, correct me if, if I'm wrong, somebody's solution, to, I won't mention the name, to, to cleaning the bathroom is just to take the mop and dip it in the bucket and just over all the stalls and toilet and everything, just give it all a mop down and then <laughs> leave it all behind. I think he knows who I'm talking about. All right, anyway, um, so what's going on, what's going on there? Um, well, that person, what, they, what they've done in being lazy, they have just stolen from everybody involved in this scenario, right? They have, uh, they have robbed from the experience of the customer. And so what happens is that that customer decides, hey, you know what, this isn't the place that I want to come to. So now, now that business is getting hurt, All right? Well, if the business is getting hurt, then everybody's getting hurt, including all the people that work for the business, including the job of the person who's working there and was lazy. And so the, in, in the short run, they didn't have to do something, but in the long run, they might not end up with a, with a paycheck in the end. And so uh, that's why Proverbs says, Proverbs 10, 26, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who employ him. You guys were at the winter retreat and, and we were doing the, the bonfire and you guys were trying to toast your marshmallows and if you would just get too close to that fire in the wrong wind, it would just go right in your eyes and you guys know that, that burns, right? For, forget s'mores, I don't want to have to deal with this. And he's saying, hey, that's it, that's the experience I want to have come to your mind when it comes to somebody who's had the, the disadvantage of having to employ a sluggard. But it's not just the employer because... He said earlier, right, that the path of the upright is a level highway, but the way of the sluggard is a hedge of thorns, right? If you, if you cut across a field because it looks like a shortcut, but you end up with thorns in your ankles and feet and legs, it's hurt you too. And, and so that's what he's wanting us to see. Selfishness harms others, and ironically, it harms ourselves as well. All right, uh, the next thing that as a problem for the sluggard is a lack of initiative. Verse 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Some of you might be auditioning for that role. Uh, but in, in Proverbs, sleep is a blessing, right? God gives to his saints rest. And it's also something that it is warning you about all the time, right? Look at stuff, Proverbs 20, 13. Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. And so Proverbs is saying, hey, I know sleep is wonderful and it feeds an appetite, it feeds a craving that you have, but you better not fall in love with that because be careful. If you give yourself to too much sleep, you are, you're missing out. You're missing out on the opportunities that are presented to you and ultimately poverty will, will come, right? And we mentioned earlier about oversleeping instead of reading your Bible. So this, this is true in the categories of our spiritual health. Um, 
I know, I know a lot of you guys have to wake up early and engage school and that sort of thing. Uh, what do you do over summer vacation and, uh, you know, Christmas vacation and those, those settings? Do you, do you let your bedtime and your wake-up time just get out of control? I think that's true for probably most of you in here, right? And, and I don't want to pick on that too much because I understand, right? I understand where you are in life and I understand... Right, the dimensions of that and the feeling like I can retreat to just sleep all day long now, and it's awesome. Uh, Might God be wanting to do something in you and through you with that time that you are wasting away because you're spending half of the day in bed? Right? Is there is there a job to pursue? Is there is there a new way that you could serve in the church over the summer? And say, yeah, I, I, I could sleep all the way till noon or 1 you know, p.m. Or I could get up and I could show up at church from 9 to 12. And I could find a way to serve. Or I could find a family that needs help. And there's somebody that needs help clean in the house or whatever it is, right? Uh, don't, don't just excuse yourself from ever having to, to do that. Um, so sleep literally is, a, is an issue here. But I think that... This is a metaphor too, the, the, you know, the turning on the hinges in your bed. There's literal sleep, but, but it's also that, that sense of the slugger just kind of goes back and forth between the same thing over and over again, never shows any initiative to do something different, to pursue new challenges, right? Uh, to engage in what's hard. And so just, you know, the slugger just kind of settles into the ruts of life and is fine with where things are in a mediocre way. And, and, and you'll see, you know, long term, you'll see people who don't ever advance in their career because they, they, don't, like, they don't like the risk that comes with that. Uh, they don't like the demand that comes with that. And so they're, they're kind of okay with just being the same thing that they always have been where they are at the same level. And, and the issue isn't, you know, getting all the money you can, right? And we're going to talk about finances soon. But I, I think the, the norm for Christians, right, the, the norm for Christians in the workplace is you should be getting better and better at what you're doing and developing and, 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 and taking risks and taking out steps that demand more of you and raising your income level, raising your ability to use your money to influence the kingdom of God. There are people in this church that they just, they progressed and they own their own businesses. And, 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 and guys, they, they, they are a, a, a primary way that the Lord is, is, has provision for his kingdom to advance in, in this area. And, and all of us should have a desire and an appetite to do that. But let me just encourage you with this, right? Because I know you're not there yet. Make it a habit to do the hard work first. And that's not what we do, right? You, you can have five things that you know you need to do, and one of them you really don't want to do. One of them is, is challenging. It doesn't play into your strengths. It feels awkward. And that's going to be put off until last minute, right? Uh, one, you, that's going to make you miserable while you do the other four things because that's just going to be looming over your head. And you're going to take a lot more time to complete those tasks than if you did that. So there's, the, there's this principle in the, in the business world. It's called eat the frog. And uh, the point is every morning, right, whatever your frog is that you don't want to have to swallow, 
you have it for breakfast, right? Whatever category that is, that, that, you know, that, that could be uh, writing a paper that you've been putting off and you've been doing everything else, but that paper's due and, you, you know, get it done. Get it done first. Um, have a conversation that's challenging, that you've been avoiding, and you're hoping maybe it'll all just blow over. No, engage it head on, right? Face what is, what is difficult. Um, I had to apply this this morning, and preaching is always helpful because then you realize, yeah, I need to obey this. Um, but when I, I was running late this morning and heading out of my, out of my front door, and uh, I was getting the, the car seat out of the van because my mom was going to do something with the kids, and, um, and I just, it just smelled horrendous. And I was like, what's been going on in this car seat? <laughs> but it wasn't the car seat. Underneath the van was a dead and decaying rat. And oh my goodness, that thing stunk. And, and my, my reaction is, oh man, I'm going to have to deal with this later, right? Because I'm, I'm running late, I'm going to take the, the, the rat will still be dead and rotting when I come back home. So I just plan, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that tonight, right? Well, what's going to happen? One, it's just going to be there festering all day. If my wife goes outside, she's going to have to smell that. And so I just, I remembered, nope, do it right now. Don't put it off. Eat the rat. Eat the, rat. <laughs> Eat the dead and decaying rat. Uh, so I went and got shovel and all that stuff. And I'm still going to have to take the trash to the curb tonight because it's trash day. So I will re-smell that. That was about... The, the only thing that's ever smelled that bad were the refrigerators after Katrina. That, that stayed in my nose for like two months. <laughs> All right. You guys can join me for that. All right. Uh, a couple more things. Uh, the sluggard has a problem with incomplete efforts, right? Verse 15, and this is just hilarious. Sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. All right. So the picture is just like you've done the work that it requires to put your hand down, but, you know, to eat your food, it would require picking it back up. And you're like, mm, man, that looks delicious, but I guess this is fine. And you just stay, stay right there, right? I don't think anybody literally does this, but his point is you, you're leaving your work unfinished in a way that never allows you to benefit from the good that's to come from it, right? Bring your hand back to your mouth. Eat that juicy cheeseburger, right? There's something to be enjoyed here, but it requires you completing what you've started. And so if you, if you tend to leave things unfinished and, yeah, maybe I could do this, and you got two steps out of ten done, just assess, right? Is, is this a category... Of, of laziness. I'll tell you this, one of the things I enjoy about Rancho 3M and missions trips and categories of serving, um, and, and I, I really appreciate that many of you, you know, participate in those and, and work hard, but you, you get to discover for yourself and you get to quickly discover for the people around you what kind of work ethic they have. Because you'll notice, all right, who leaves that wall half-painted with all the paintbrush and all that stuff still in the, in the paint, and this is over here, and that's ruined now because it dried out, right? Who's, who's leaving stuff halfway finished? And so part of being diligent is I'm going to see it through all the way to the end. Um, all right, uh, finally, self-importance. Verse 16 the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. When you're lazy, 
It comes with this attitude. It comes from it, and it requires this attitude. Because nobody's just okay with, yep, I'm lazy, deal with it. You ever notice, lazy people don't think they're lazy. In fact, they, they tend to have this attitude like they're above everybody else, and the world's out to get them, and, and, and people who just walk through life never amounting to much, they have a whole string of reasons that they can provide to you about how everybody else was a problem. And, you know, my parents always did this, and then th this, you know, employer, he was unreasonable. They, they think they're above it all. They're above the fray. They're above hard work. They're wiser in their own eyes even than seven. And, and, and seven, right, it doesn't get better than seven people in Proverbs, right? In the, in the Bible, the number seven, it's like, you've arrived. And so the, the vision here is there could be seven people thinking, I think what you're doing is wrong there. And the sluggard's like, too bad. You guys go ahead and be wrong altogether because I've got it all figured out. And, and this, is, this is an epidemic uh, for, for young adults today, I would say. Um, I don't think this is true universally. It's not true across the board for millennials. But it is a big problem for millennials. And I, I, I hope that your generation is not marked by the same thing. Because millennials tend to be, stereotypically, but, but tend to be young people who, who have a, an opinion on a lot. And they haven't done a lot. Right? So they, they, they know, here's how you're going to fix it. Here are the problems with politics. Here are the problems in the church. Here's the problem with religion. Whatever it is, right? They, they, they've, they've got an opinion because they've had the internet in ways that previous generations didn't have it as early on. So it's made them think they know a lot, but they haven't done a lot. In fact, they've done a lot less, but that doesn't, um, doesn't prevent them from thinking that they know it all. And so an important question that employers are asking is not, what, what do you think you know? No, tell me what you've done. Don't, don't tell me what, you're, what you're, you think you're good at, right? I got really these people skills and I could do this. No, no, what have you done, <laughs> right? What have you gone out there and done? What, what have you accomplished? And then give your, yourself permission to think you have it together, right? One of the categories... In, in Proverbs are scoffers. And scoffers fit in, in, in this way, that people who haven't done anything, but, but they, they like to, instead of actually working, they like to retreat to their thinking and their views of the world. And I, I was talking with, with Jack about some people he works with at Cafe Cafe that they're in their 40s, right, and still working at Cafe Cafe. And yet that does not stop them from, from offering, <laughs> hey, 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 di different set of circumstances, all right? Sorry. Uh, you're not in your 40s, so I can't be talking about you. Um, <laughs> right? But, but, uh, but, but these are people that they, they don't have families, right? They, 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 they have never lived anywhere outside of just level one service industry because they, they haven't had any appetites or desires to do anything more than that. But that doesn't stop them from being a scoffer. That doesn't stop them from having their advice for all the people in this world for making fun of God and his ways. And, and I know he's, he's had to bump into some of those realities. But Proverbs addresses this. Uh, talk is cheap. Um, 
but going out into this world that God has made and accomplishing great things is where there is reward. Um, all right, I just want to close with this. The, the, the danger, right? The sluggard is wiser, wise in his own eyes, which means he doesn't, he doesn't benefit from this. You take Proverbs 26, verse 13 on, and read it to him, and he's like, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me, and it just, nothing connects because he's, he's become so out of touch with God and with his expectations. And so the danger for us in any of this is to read through that and think, oh, that was interesting, the little bit I paid attention to, and not allow it to address our, our hearts, all right? So wh- where does God want to identify in you temptations to laziness? Right? Just be honest with that. that this, is, this is something I regularly am exposed to in myself. I just, I was lazy in how I engaged that, how I went about that. Right? Allow, allow the Lord to, to help you see where, where have I given in to temptations, to laziness? And, and where, where does he want me to change? What, what does he want me to pursue? Where, where should there be initiative coming from my life? What, what difficult things is he calling for me to engage with diligence? And ultimately, there's a calling on our lives. And there's a mission that extends beyond any school we're a part of or any job we'll ever or any particular task will do. There's a mission of God. And, and Jesus said this in John chapter 4. He said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Whatever it is you do with your life, whatever education, labor you pursue, right? That there, there's something in it all and all of that serves the purpose for what will reap eternal reward. And Jesus said, that's my food, right? More, more than anything you could offer me to satisfy any hunger that's inside of me, I want to do the work of my Father. I want to spin myself. And Jesus spent himself again and again all the way to the end. And he did that for us, right? I'm, I am saying Jesus paid it all earlier. None of us have to work in order to get God's favor, Right? That is the one category of work that the Bible becomes antagonistic toward. It says, don't think you're working to get forgiveness. Jesus worked for that. But then he calls us. He calls us to his mission and to engage it with eagerness and diligence. And so don't put this off until later. Allow the Lord to form in you this kind of character, this value system, to work hard and to work hard for his kingdom. Okay, Lord, thank you for the truth you've given us tonight. Lord, would we take it into our lives? Would we receive it? Would we be humble enough to allow it to investigate us, even if, even if there's a follow-up conversation with a parent or, or somebody else in our life helping us to realize, hey, you know, you just, you've, you've given in to laziness here. 
Uh, Lord, would we receive that because ultimately we know you are the designer of life and we want to live it the way that you have made it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.